Ah, hello my friends, hello my life warriors, wherever you are in the world Welcome to the Day In Day Out podcast Woo! Today on the podcast, on episode 167 I was very fortunate to have, a pleasure to have in fact, uh, Chris Delaney He is a hypnotherapist, uh, interview coach and author We talked about many things about how he started out uh, From his humble beginnings where he was earning a pound an hour on one of his first jobs How he got his lucky break uh, from basically a forklift like a forklift driving course and yeah what sort of helped motivate him uh, to become a like coach uh, slash hypnotherapist a very good person to talk to a joy to have and yeah i look forward to bringing him on many more shows anyway so sit back enjoy the show please remember to subscribe to the podcast youtube channel or wherever good podcasts are found and yeah have an awesome day yeah peace <laughs> oh Boom. Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today, on episode 167, I am very privileged to have oh, Chris Delaney. He is an interview coach and a hypnotherapist and an author. So if you do cross this man, he knows how to ruin your career, hypnotize you so you think you're a duck, and yeah, many other things. And maybe write a bad book about you. Hey, <laughs> Chris, how are you today? Yes, I tell you what, I am loving your energy. Your energy is out of the roof, man. It's so good. I love it. Great intro as well. Normally people say really nice things like so hitting a therapist, he's gonna do this for you. You're like, he's gonna trick you, he's gonna write a terrible book. <laughs> I love it. All I've got to say is, look, I'm I'm being nice to you and I'm not looking at the screen directly. So if I'm like this, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So don't get me like, don't be like, hey. I'm not very suggestive. I, I'm, I'm resilient, but still, <laughs> I have to ask. Look, you are. I've, how long have you been a hypnotherapist for? Because look, it's been a healthy chunk of time to say yeah, that. Just one week. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. So I've been doing like I've been <laughs> I've been doing like hypnotherapy and coaching for like about ten years. Um, so I got into like kind of life coaching first, mm. got into like wanting to help people be more confident, get over anxiety. And I thought, what's the best way to do that? I want to be able to click my fingers and cure people in five seconds. That was my goal. So that's why I got into hypnotherapy about 10 years ago. Mm. And when people say hypnotherapy, is that like you with a big watch, like flashing it backwards and forwards? And like before they know it, that's like, yes, you are the most confident man in the whole entire universe. If it's is, sign me up. But if it's not, please tell me, tell us more. <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone sort of thinks it's like, you know, dress in a suit, have the watch swinging from left to right. Yeah. Look at the watch, look at the watch. I'm going to do things like make you dance like a chicken. <laughs> uh, but that, that obviously doesn't happen. If you're a stage hypnotist, you tend to do that sort of stuff and make people dance around and, you know, forget the name and stuff like that. But mm. as a as a hypnotherapist, you're kind of using hypnosis in therapy to help people become more confident. So it's more about getting people to change how they visualize the world or change how their emotions uh, are connected to their mindset. Yeah, like because like this is the thing. I think with regards to hypnotherapy and... <laughs> the sort of uh, 15 to 60 months we've had recently i think it's a case of a, a lot of people are going to i think need that type of therapy uh going forward uh, what have you been finding out there uh people's sort of reaction uh post uh, like pre-pandemic and like post-pandemic it's really interesting because I've seen a massive increase in people with like anxiety issues. So at the beginning, people didn't want to work from home because they felt this new environment was going to be really scary. Mm. But now people don't want to go back to the workplace because they're kind of worried about, I got so comfortable at home, I got my systems, my routine, <laughs> I've got my little setup now. So they're more scared about going in. And the truth is, we kind of get a um, routine, don't we? So when you had to try something new, that's when it becomes a terrible event for you. A bit mm. like the job interview. Most people don't attend a job interview every week or every month. It's like once every three to five years or some people once every 20 years. Mm. This is the reason why people are terrified of job interviews because they're just not comfortable at speaking about their skills, their talents, their experiences in front of a group of strangers. 
Yeah, because you do do work with that as well, uh, like helping people, coaching them to get through, like finding a job and everything like this, which, you know what, it, from coming from where you started educationally wise, that is like a hell of a jump, wouldn't you say? Yeah, so I'm like a dyslexic loser. I, I, when I was in school, I was dyslexic. I couldn't read, I couldn't write. I also had a terrible list, so I really struggled to communicate. And it's interesting now because I wrote books, so I have to read and write a lot. I must speak mm. for a living. I have to, speak, you know, I have to talk to people all the time. Uh, one of the reasons I did hypnotherapy as well is because I had a list. Well, I got speech therapy, so I had better diction. But yeah. I used to talk really fast, like a lot faster than I talk now, and I talk fast already. <laughs> and so I thought I'll go, to, I'll go, I'll go like a hypnotherapy course because I want to learn the techniques to help my clients yeah. overcome the phobias, but it'll teach me to slow down my pace and to have better diction on the key words when I'm talking to people. Yeah. Well, going back to my journey, though, like I left school, I had like low qualifications, dyslexic, other lists, and I ended up working like low-skilled jobs, and I kind of thought my life is going to go nowhere. I'm just going to be in these dead-end jobs. I, I was earning like a pound an hour. My first job was a pound an hour. How crazy is that? Like one, <laughs> before minimum wage, this, you know, I'm in my 40s now, so we didn't have minimum wage when I left school. But a pound an hour, it was crazy. Um, and I just thought I was going to go nowhere, but I did have this passion. Like I just love helping people. Mm. I was the type of kid when I grew up that people used to come and talk to me. All my friends would talk to me about the problems and I was a great listener. Probably because I didn't want to speak because I had a list. <laughs> well, talk to me, he won't interrupt me. He'll just sit there quiet. He's embarrassed to talk, that guy with the list. Just thoughtfully. Yeah. But yeah, so he had this like limiting belief that I was never going to be successful. Yeah. So I thought, I'll just volunteer though. I, I used to take uh, disabled adults rock climbing and hiking. I used to volunteer with youth groups and scout groups. And I just got really passionate about helping people. And I kind of learned some like skills and techniques from kind of doing it in this volunteering sector. Yeah. But I still thought, no qualifications. I'm going to really struggle. So this would just be like a part-time voluntary fun thing on the side. Mm. But I got really passionate about it. So I started reading a bit more, started learning how to read and did some literacy courses. I was getting speech therapy when I was in school. So I was overcoming that issue as well. But I got this massive lucky break. I was on a faultless truck course in the warehouse where I worked. And I was doing this course. And I'm a kinesthetic learner. I learned by doing so. I was great at this course. Yeah. Jumped on the truck, driving down the chicane, lifting up the pallets. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was the god of driving that faultless truck. I was the king of faultless truck driving. But some of my colleagues were like really nervous and really scared because it's like a big machine, a faultless truck. And they got on it and they was crashing into the chicane. They was nearly driving over the instructor. And it came to the day of the test, the morning of the test. And the guy who was teaching us said to me, Chris, you're going to pass this hands down. You're going to get your license that easy. Mm. And he turned to the other ones and went, I think you're going to fail. <laughs> like, he, he wasn't. He, this guy was not a motivational speaker. <laughs> it was the opposite. So I went over to the group who looked really disheartened and I whispered um, this thing to him. I basically taught him a technique that I used to teach the anxious adults when they wanted to go rock climb, but they were scared, mm. just like a dead simple visualizational thing. They got on a truck, confident yeah. as anything, drove around as she came, picked up the pallet, put it on the racking, passed the test. Anyway, a year later, the guy who taught me to drive a faulty truck came to see me in my workplace. And he said, do you remember who I am? I was like, yeah, you're the faultless truck guy, aren't you? He goes, well, I'm the managing director of the organization. Uh -huh. The reason I came down that weekend to teach you to drive the faultless truck is because someone rang in ill. And I thought, we don't want to like, you know, lose the business, we don't want to like ruin your weekend. So I came down and took over. And I always remember you doing the magic whisper to the person who was really struggling. And we talk about this in all our team meetings. We have a team meeting every month. We always talk about the magic whisperer. And it was all about me, like, helping this person, teaching him this technique. And they said, we was always really impressed that you got someone so nervous, so anxious to get on a truck and to drive it. So we want to offer you a job. And right. what we want to do is put you on a faultless truck instructor course. It costs £3,000. We want to put you on that course, and I'm going to give you a job. And I was like, this is a con. Dude, it's one of those things, isn't it? We got you a job, but you got to give us £3,000 first. I was like, I'm not buying into that, mate. Not a chance. You? I don't, I'm on a pound an hour. I was putting in a pound 50 by then, but I was on a rubbish wage. There's no way. I, I, I have £30 in my bank account. I eat beans and toast from a tea. You know, that's how poor I am. He goes, no, 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 no. We will pay for your course. We're going to give you sixteen or seventeen thousand pound. I think it was uh, a year. That was going to be my new salary. And we're going to mentor you because we can see something special in you. Right. And I think really, I think success comes down to two things: having passion for something and having mm. luck. 
Because when you have luck, you take opportunities, don't you? You say yes to a lot more things. That's what luck is. We all get given these opportunities. We all meet these random people that could change our lives. But we often mm. say no. I have this mindset of just saying yes. Say yes to things. Take the chance. Take the opportunity. You know, spread your passion around. And, and that's what it is. Luck and passion make success. Mm. Like, so would you say with you like with this sort of philosophy of saying yes uh, an awful lot would you say that is like helping you sort of how can I say putting you in a realm of discomfort a little bit more say than the average person yeah definitely and it's kind of nice because the first time you say yes is something that you're quite worried about it's just the worst mo- like I remember the first time I got interviewed on a radio station I was just the most nervous person. That interview must have been been just (laughs) terrible. I was stuttering. I was mumbling. My answers were dead short. But because I said yes to that, and then I said yes to the next one, and I was a little bit more confident. And then I was more confident, more confident, more confident, the more I said yes. So what you tend to find is that repetition is the master of all skill. I think that's a Tony Robbins quote. The more Mm -hmm. you do something, the more you say yes, the more easy it becomes. Kind of goes back to the job interviews, isn't it? The reason people are scared of speaking in a job interview is because they don't do it. Where if you apply for loads of jobs all the time and went to loads of job interviews, you should be more confident naturally. Yeah, I think people should like just go to dummy job interviews on a regular basis because look, with regards to, I'd say I have to like with regards to last year when like just huge swathes of people were like, you have a job, no, you don't have a job, and like trying to sort of get themselves back on their feet and do that whole interview process where they could be outstanding people as you as you are the how can i say the the whisperer i'm not sure if that's <laughs> the, <laughs> the magic whisperer <laughs> the magic whisperer uh, yeah. they help calm people down find their confidence and like yeah really get that focus on could you imagine if you weren't there on that day what would have happened to that poor person they would have like failed mm. their like tests and if they were getting paid the same wage as yourself at the time. Uh, I don't know how long how long it would have taken them to save that money to like take that test again. It it may have like slowed everything down for their lives, maybe by a good two years, maybe longer. Who knows? Yeah. I think as well, just on like a personal level, when you said that, I was thinking, I wonder what would happen if I wasn't there, because that was like that was my lucky break that kind of, I did that. I ended up being an MEQ assessor and then running mm. employment programs, then getting into careers advice, getting qualified and in that time, I was like getting better qualifications and an education. And now I kind of like, I've wrote books. I got my own business. You know, I, I go and do like public speaking training sessions. Mm. My life is so different. Even like where I live and what I do for the hobbies and my confidence level, it all kind of comes back down to that one day. And that all kind of comes back down to that. I was passionate about wanting to help people. And then, then I volunteered. It's weird, didn't it? How, you know, you can look back in your life and go, should I change it? Should I done something different? But you don't really, because all your mistakes, all your errors, all your successes, everything that you've done in the past brings you to this moment. And if you're happy mm. now, then that's great. And if you're not happy now, that's when you need to make a change. Yeah, but like this is a thing. I don't know if you were like you were consciously aware of you are sort of preparing for a moment like that, or just like you know what I mean, you're just going with it. But like the whole thing is, I'd say to people who are like maybe a little bit more conscious about what direction they want to go in, uh, like um a Les Brown. A Les Brown story where he talks about yeah he wanted to be working in this radio station and like basically he was there for a, a good few months yeah it, it took him a mission and a half to get into the radio station but he was there for months upon months upon months before this one night where one of the radio presenters uh, let, let's say they got a little bit tipsy and like he was like he like he saw his like he saw his opportunity with every time this guy lifted his glass, took a drink, and like he was like, "Yeah, drink, rock, drink." <laughs> drink. <laughs> and, like, and like basically, he had a phone call from like the head of the like the radio station. Goes, "Yeah, it seems like Rock's a little bit too drunk at this moment in time. Call someone else to like get ready to come in." And it was like, "Les Brown was like, okay, yeah, I'll call them." Put down the phone. That's kept on going, drink, rock, drink. And like, yeah, hour later, calls back again. Did you manage to get anyone? It's like, no. It's like, well, you best go on. So he was <laughs> like, yeah. He was prepared for a very long time just yeah. for that one opportunity to come forward. And when like rock sadly didn't make it to the end of the show, he called, he called his girlfriend, he called his mother and went, yeah, I'm going to be on the radio tonight. <laughs> Listen, but like, 
But yeah, I think that's something people should try to do. Like, be prepared. If they want to go somewhere in life, be prepared. That opportunity, you never know when it might come. Like, mm. you say you, you got lucky, but I would say it was a case of if it didn't happen there, uh, yeah, your energy and the vibe you give off, I think it would have come together at some point. I'm not too sure which direction yeah. it went from there, you know? I think you kind of, you know, I don't always like using the word goal, but when you kind of have like a goal or a mission or when you're passionate about something, mm. you tend to like put effort into that thing that you love doing. So you tend to go to the places where the opportunities are going to be or the people um, that are in those networks that you want to be in. Are. Yeah. So, you know, if I wanted to be into music, I'd be going to loads of gigs all the time, but I'd also be going to like loads of radio um, uh, recording studios and I'd be going to local radio stations or making my own podcasts and stuff like that. So you kind of put yourself out there don't you and then mm. the opportunities kind of find you and you jump in it where when you're kind of quite um self-conscious of putting yourself out there you've got no opportunities because you're just stuck in your own little bubble and mm. you need to get out there you need to kind of make mistakes and make do you know recently as well uh, this is a couple of years ago I, I was passionate i'm passionate about the theater i love the theater my first career goal by the way was to be an actor this oh, kid yeah. list who used to do like amateur dramatics in school but i always wanted to <laughs> do something in the theater so two years ago, I wrote a play and directed a play for the Manchester Fringe Festival, and I got it on there, and I sold out both nights. So I was really proud. You know, most of it was family and friends. You know, I begged yeah. them to come, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> but I was really excited that I put on this play. I've always wanted to do this a massive ambition. I was writing off to critics as well, saying, "Come down, see this play." And the critics said, "I'll come down, I'll watch it." And I thought, "Great, you know, I wrote this play, sold out for two nights. The critics gonna see it. They're gonna write about it. Then I'll be on Edinburgh, Edinburgh Fringe next, and I'll be doing a worldwide <laughs> tour. And I'm gonna make a load of money from this play." The critic came down, watched it, wrote the review. The review was the worst theatre review I've ever wrote. He said the scenery is terrible, the storyline <laughs> was ridiculous. Uh, the changeovers were just, uh, you know, incomplete. Like, the worst review I, I ever, ever uh, uh, read. <laughs> so I kind of like, I got this review and I thought, oh my God, like, has it been worth spending all these months putting this play together? And it was because the journey of writing that play, the directing it, some of my, some of my friends are actors and I got them to act in it, so we collaborated together on it. The audience as well did love it because it was a comedy and there was laughing all the time. Just this one person uh, didn't like it. And I thought, that's it in it. This one person, maybe mm. he had a powerful voice as a critic, but he didn't like it. But the rest of the audience loved it. They were laughing and there was, you know, applauding me afterwards and but the journey my personal journey for writing and directing that play was massive so you gotta get out i'm not bothered about the, the you know people cr criticizing me just go out there have fun do what you love yeah i am so like how come you didn't do more plays because like look don't get me wrong look like speaker like yeah hypnotherapist coach author yeah you know what i mean you've done well and everything like this but yeah how come you didn't like sort of like go oh the theater is calling i must go and perform <laughs> yeah well i think so uh, i did that first play and then i was like oh should i start writing a second play and i had this idea about um doing like a, a play actually based on job interviews and then covid came um quite soon after that and I ended up uh, moving my energy into writing a book when I did all the research uh, for the book. So I was first writing a play about job interview and the idea that the actors would talk to the audience and the audience would be the interview panel and it's yeah. going to be a bit interactive. And then I started doing more research on the job interview process to get some quotes. And then I ended up getting my energy onto the book. But I'll be coming, I will be coming back to the play that I still got that ready. I just had to pick what I focus on for that moment. And it was the book during COVID, but the play... I will be getting back to that. And I got my, <laughs> one of my friends who's an actor as well. He keeps saying, when's this play happening? Because I said I got a part from him. He's like, when's the play happening? When's the play happening? So I got to go back to it. I've got to say, you talk about my energy levels, but come on now, you sir, have got an enthusiasm, uh, a passion for like, yeah, a, a lot of things. Where, like, where would you say this passion like comes from? This enthusiasm? Look, come on. You are hyped. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Cheers, man. Cheers. So I think because like when I was like, when I was young, I think I was like this energetic kid and stuff. And then when I became a bit self-conscious when I was in my teenagers and I kind of realized, you know, my writing was a problem. I was dyslexic and, you know, I didn't get bullied, but people used to comment on my lisp and stuff like what you say, I can't understand what you're saying, like slow down. <laughs> So I think it made me a little bit more reserved when I was a little bit younger. And when you're reserved, you tend to be shy, you tend to lose confidence. So, 
you know, if, if I fancied someone, I wouldn't really go talk to him or I would be really scared of a job interview as an example. I definitely would not put myself out there. But when when I started doing the volunteering stuff and getting those lucky breaks, I, my mindset changed. I was like, you know, I can be successful. Mm. It's just the, my beliefs that were stopping me. And when my mindset changed, when I believed, you know, I can do these things, I can be successful, my confidence just started growing. And then I'd do something else and achieve that and do something else and achieve that. And it allowed me to grow to the point where I could fail and it wouldn't knock me back five steps. I'd fail and go, okay, what did I learn from that mm. and move forward? So when I took those bars down, when I got out of that cell, Man, my energy came. I was like, I can love life. I can live life. I, I'll do things that I enjoy doing. So I told you before that I'm into outdoor stuff. So I found outdoor friends and started talking to them, meeting them. And now we do all these outdoor things. Same with the play. You know, I always had this passion for theatre. So I used to find people who was interested in the theatre, which wasn't my outdoor friends who like hiking and climbing and jumping yeah. off mountains. So I had this new group. And then some of them were actors and they talked about plays and I was always like I wanted to write a play so surround yourself by people that are better than you that are happier than you that are you know do the things that you want to do and you can get sucked into like their energy and their experiences and take that on yeah like this is the thing one of the things I've like often sort of I've always sort of fluctuate on this I sometimes disagree and and agree with it at times they go up oh, when people go yeah you know what you've got to leave some like your friends behind who are holding you back blah blah blah, blah so you can move on to that next level there's there's been times in my life i'm going yeah that's right you've got to leave people behind but i realize it's like no 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 it's a case of there are certain like things you want to do in life and yes you've got to attract certain people with regards to that aspect of life so with your plays yes doing the plays great uh, like a friend of yours from school who might be great at who knows like bricklaying is not going to be the person you really need on your team while you're doing a play or like doing some public speaking game but it's a case of you don't need to cut off the people around you it's just a case of you've got to utilize them and the best sort of team for that particular moment. And I don't, it, when I say utilize them, I don't mean use them like there's no tomorrow. Hey, hey, buddy, come <laughs> over here. I need a favor. I need another favor. I need another favor. No, it's a case of, yeah, if they can help you with a particular car, par, task, excuse me, help you on that journey, bring them on board, share that journey with them. Because as much as you grow, they can grow too. That's the way I see it these days. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's such a good message because if you was like managing a project at work, you'd um, get consultants in who specialise in different things, wouldn't you? Mm. So, and that's what you kind of do with your friends. Like if you're like my theatre friends, I'm always talking to them about the theatre and doing the theatre stuff, and my yeah. outdoor friends, you know, that sort of things. But if I've got a friend who's feeling, you know, a bit down on the press, then hopefully they come to me because that's my skill set of making people uh, feel better. And it's it's not really about like dropping or gaining people. It's about Always reflect in your life and think, like, what's making you happy and what's not making you happy? And mm. you kind of use that to make judgment calls uh, all the time. But you, you should be there to support. You might, my friend's a plumber, so we've got a plumbing problem. I hire that guy rather than someone that, like I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Or if you know your friend's parents have just passed away or, 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 or they just lost a job, you kind of go there and be there for that person, don't you? You can have yeah. lots of friends. I've got a friend from childhood, actually, and we met uh, last week. And we've probably not met for a year. And last time we met, we'd not met for a year before that. But oh as soon God. as we meet each other, it's yeah. like we we met, we we chatted last week. Our friendship level is just always the same. And we sometimes see each other over, uh, you know, short periods of time, or sometimes it's a long period of time. But we, if we ever need each other, we're there for each other. If, mm. You know, if he rings me up, I'm, I'm on that call for him. I'll meet him straight away for a coffee. Uh, and then when we just meet up as friends, the, the conversation is just natural. It's never awkward because we're not met for a while. And that's a true friend, really, isn't it? Someone where it's not awkward, it's not weird. You can meet a lot, meet a little bit, mm. uh, you know, with a longer duration. You're just always there for each other. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And like, yeah, I agree. It's like being there for people and like, you know what I mean? Making that happen and not sort of being, not taking, but sort of giving, like, you know what I mean? Giving back as much as you can and like making sure you help yourself in the same process by pushing yourself, but giving as much as you can on the side. That's the important things, I think. Yeah, mm. I, I, I just think like, just being treated with, with your friends. So when you see your friend and they're talking about work, 
be intrigued about uh, what they're talking about. Like ask loads of questions, pretend like you not pretend, but become passionate about what they are. Same yeah. with strangers and everyone. If you're always intrigued, you'll listen more intently. You'll ask more questions. You, you'll listen without thinking because a bit like this interview, you might be talking now and I'm like, <clears> oh, I need to say something clever. I need to say something clever. So I'm not actually listening to you and just yeah. hearing some words where I don't do that. I'm actually, as soon as you're talking, I'm like, right, well, I need to listen to this guy. He's full of energy. He's got wisdom. I, I need to be zoned in here. But wow. I try and do that with everyone that I meet. Like if someone's passionate or someone's talking about something, I'll be there in that moment. My mm. intention and intention is on that person. Yeah. I'm not too sure about the wisdom of my part, but that's another story. <laughs> but yes, but like this is the thing. Like one of the things like you've mentioned a couple of times, like you've mentioned you volunteered. Uh like was that like like was that just a what was the sort of catalyst for you? Like going, you know what, I need to volunteer to do this and do that. Because it's like, okay it's not what most people would do and like when you go yeah at the time you're on a pound an hour yeah ain't not what many people could say i can afford to do that and I, I would highly recommend volunteering for everyone because just from a career point of view as well like when i when i've interviewed people if they volunteered i generalize i think the, the work ethic is strong they're reliable they're hard working because if you didn't have those qualities, you'd no way you'd volunteer, would you? If you had no work effort, you just wouldn't offer your time uh, for free. So I, I did it for a couple of selfish reasons as well as wanting to, you know, make a difference in people's lives. I, mm. I wanted to be in that outdoor scene. And that's one of the reasons why I joined to be a scout leader, because I knew scout leaders would be into outdoor stuff. So part of me wanted to help people, but selfishly, I wanted to meet people who was interested in this hub, this new hobby I, I was creating. Yeah. Um, and actually, I remember as well, like doing the Scouts was one of the first things that I did. And after doing it for a while, I got some funding from the Scout Association to do a mountain leadership training course. Ah. And on that course, I met someone who was doing a course because he took the disabled people hiking. So yeah. that was my next thing. I met him. He talked about this thing. And I was like, oh, I'm really interested in this. And then he ended up volunteering with them as well. So it's a bit like that networking thing. I was passionate about something. Met uh, met someone who could then uh, introduce me to other opportunities, and then I took on those up, other opportunities, and it was really good the, uh, the the helping the disabled adults. It was such I did that as well, like purely because I just wanted to help that uh, that group of people. Mm. Uh, and we used to take resp kids like kids from fourteen to like twenty four year olds on like respite weekends, where we took yeah. them away for a weekend, about ten volunteers and about twelve people with disabilities. So the family who was doing full time caring could have like a weekend on their own and their appreciation to have two days without having you know full-on physical caring because yeah. we did that uh it, it was so nice to come back and feel that appreciation for them but we obviously loved helping these young people as well yeah would you say basically becoming a scout leader helped you truly find like the leadership qualities you use today yeah, it's so funny as well, because I went down, I kind of wanted to be a helper at the scout group. And it was my nephew's scout group. So I went down, I said, oh, my nephew's coming here. I, I popped in because I kind of want to just help out. And the guy said to me, it's such such interesting timing, because I'm actually just handing him a notice. And we just had a meeting before today, say it's going to close down because there's no one to take over. How would you feel about taking over the scout, like being the scout leader, not the assistant? I was like, "Whoa, hey, like, what? I don't know." Yeah, and that's some other time when I kind of went, "Oh, that is scary." Uh, but I thought, you know, I'll take this on, and he can't. He, the, their helpers was going to stay in place, so I did end up having like a network of support people who knew, knew what they was doing, supporting. But they wanted someone mm. to lead it. And I thought, you know what? This is a great opportunity. Uh, so I just, I took that on. My 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 test was, I got there, asked them about general help and went, yeah, we need someone as a leader. You can run the next half an hour of activities. We'll see how you are. If you're good, then you kind of got the job. So like in the moment, I had to just come up with, with like games <laughs> activities for this group of like 12 kids. Just looking at you, judging you with their eyes. It's like, yeah. Hmm. I remember as well, when they, cause they did judge me with the eyes, and I thought, like, what can I do when I do? And I was a scout when I was a kid. I, mean, I used to love playing crab football, where you're on your hands and your legs. Yeah, yeah, ball yeah. Ball. yeah, yeah. So I said, right, everybody, like, loads of energy. Let's all play crab football. And in my head, all the kids are going to go, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I hate that game. And I thought, but I've got to show, like, leadership here. So you had to be, like, a surgeon. Like, no, you, we, we will play this. Be it will be fun. <laughs> uh, you know, the, probably the worst way to lead someone is forcing crab football onto him. But, again, <laughs> i just seen an opportunity and took it. <laughs> crab football. It's like, what? 
who are you? It's yeah, like, it, it, it literally was like, who are I? What? Who are you? Blake, was playing yeah, yeah. football. I bet your nephew looked at you and was like, hey, okay. <laughs> he, he didn't tell anyone that I was his uncle that day. <laughs> like, oh, no. But it was good, though, because you talked about leadership skills, and it definitely taught me about leadership because I was definitely mm. unorganized before becoming a scout leader. I remember taking them on the first camp and thinking I can put everything into the back of my uh, four-seater car. And then I realized the amount of tents and food and equipment that you had to take. Or, you know, some kids will be allergic to one thing and some other kids will be allergic to the other. So you have to plan out the menu. And then you have to think about, I've never done a risk assessment before. Because I used to just work in these low-skill jobs. And I was like, right, you need all these risk assessments. I was like, yeah, 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 I know, I know what that is. Uh, <laughs> we didn't even like Google to check what a risk assessment was. That's like run balance. Like, who knows what a risk assessment is? So, so I kind of like jumped into the deep end. But um, I don't know. I do feel maybe from experience, or maybe got some natural le- leadership skills. But it, it kind of came together, and the support people, the the helpers and the assistants, was so good that they kind of mm. made it made it work for me. But yeah, it was a fun experience, and you know, I, I loved it actually. It was really good. Yeah, because like this is the thing. Like, yeah, you're not what you may have liked for like okay qualifications when you left school. You started to. It seems like you started to skill up uh, quite quickly. Maybe ahead of many of your peers who may have got better grades than you in school. Uh, you might disagree with me, and you might not. But I don't know. How do you yeah. see that? I th- I always felt like um, I'm a, I remember leaving school and thinking. Uh, I, I, I used to say I was stupid. So I remember leaving school and going, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm a stupid person. Mm. But the one thing I have is my is like work ethic. So I had my first job was when I was at school. So I used to go, go to like a, a mini market and then stack the beers and do the fruit and unload the bands and that sort of stuff. Um, and I used to work like really long hours and I used to be like running around, like being, you know, using my muscle rather than my mind. So I always mm. knew I had this like strong uh, work ethic. And I thought that will take me through that. Maybe that will make me successful. And when I joined the scout groups as well, when I was like leading them, I didn't just do like the normal stuff. Like, you know, people would teach Matt reading and you play crab football or one or two yeah. other things. I'd invent games. So I sometimes go early, get five random objects out the uh, story and go, right, what game can I invent with this? And what learning can that game have? So I used to like constantly challenge myself because I kind of, I knew, I think I had something in me. I knew I wanted to grow. I knew I, knew I wanted to become something uh, better than I was and that all that led me on to like what you know wanting to learn to read and doing some literacy and numeracy courses and and and, you, and trying to get qualifications but yeah I had, I had a work ethic I think a passion um, to, to do something to stand out and I think that that's the thing that held me up yeah I'm loving that I'm loving that a lot they come like come on now like yeah can't as they say you can't keep a good man down they say you can't keep a good man down yeah so like this is the thing like with regards to like many of the people in the world right now i think with what's gone on there's a lot of people which are going to be looking at what they are doing in their lives currently and they're most really like okay i need to do a big shift i need to do a big change and like with your sort of like experience as an interview coach I imagine it sometimes crosses over sometimes like as a career advisor if someone came up to you and yeah you know what I've been like doing this job and I want to get out I'm not too sure which way I should go what would you say to this person how would you advise them so this happens all the time. A lot of people will either go to university, get a qualification, mm. and then they tend to take like uh, any job that comes along because they kind of need the money now. I've left uni, need to get the money. And then if they're quite, you know, good in that job, they tend to be successful, get a promotion, get a pay rise. And at some point in your early 20s, you might get your first house or get married and have kids. Mm. And often people go down this career path that they've not planned because it's just you know, jumping on those opportunities like I've done, but it's taken down a career path that they're not really desired. And a lot of the clients that come to me for careers advice are in this situation where they realize that they're stuck in this job because of the salary and they want to change to something else. And if you change, you generally have to take a pay cut yeah. while you're getting qualified or experienced in that new sector. And that's the big question what you have to ask yourself is, uh, if I stay in this job role where I got finances that pay for five holidays, a big car, a big house, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm not that happy in my job. Yeah. Is is that more important than taking a pay cut, maybe having a smaller house or not going to as many holidays, but finding a career that I'm going to be passionate about? Mm. And you 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 know, you work in your you work in your job a third of your week 
don't you? Like you're in there eight hours a day, and, yeah. you, and we're going to be working till seventy-five or eighty now, aren't we? Like that retirement <laughs> age just keeps going up and up and up. So when you're until when you until you yeah yeah definitely. Like your mortgage advisor now, don't say like you're going to retire at 60. They ask you when you think you're going to retire. But imagine though, imagine being on your deathbed and you look back down your timeline, down your life. What are you going to be most happy about? Are you going to be happy about making that choice where you stay in a job that you don't like, but you get some external benefits or being in a job that you do like and then not having all those external benefits? And it's a very individual choice as well, because sometimes people want the money. People want the identity of the job role that they're in as well. or don't want to risk taking like a new opportunity so you so you get comfortable in familiarity where other people might take that risk and follow the passion i always think as well if your job which often if you don't like it creates stress if that stress is moving into your personal life so it's making you i don't argue with your partner as an example mm. that's definitely something you should really reflect on because if you're in love with someone but your stress from a job you don't like is affecting that relationship for me as an individual that'd be a that'd be a, a big you know that'd help me make my decision mm. No, I hear you. I hear you. And like when you say, yeah, spend one third of our jobs, uh, lives doing our jobs. Well, it's one third of our time, but it's life. <laughs> one third of our lives just doing a job. If it comes down to something you hate or dislike. Look, I understand if you've got like, you know, what I mean, real commitments like, yeah, you've got kids and everything like that. You might go, OK, I need this certain level of economic security to keep them fed and keep them watered and like keep them going but it's like I think sometimes we don't actually truly sit down and go okay let's count out the pennies let's work out what we truly need uh, to keep us going forward and like they put this overinflated like job title with the inflated wage and they think that's what I need and when it goes away or they have to cut back it might it might be surprised at how much less they might need and what they've got to make their lives better, you know? Yeah. And, then, and then the other alternative to that as well, because mm. sometimes people love the career. So the job role they love and are passionate about, and it's a thing they studied for uh, at university, uh, but they're not happy. And they think it's a job, but sometimes it's the management style or the company culture that you're in. So you mm. sometimes need to reflect on what, what specifically am I not enjoying? Is it the job role, the day-to-day business as usual, usual duties? Or is it the way, you know, the values of the organization or their mission or, you know, the way I'm being managed? Just imagine you're very into like, I don't know, environment as an example. And that's okay. like one of your values. But you're working for this massive organization and you, you know that they don't make environmental decisions. So they make products, but they'll use the cheapest thing, which often, you know, they ruin the environment for. If that don't sit well with you, you're quite likely to be unhappy at some subconscious level. So it's mm. really good to like analyze and reflect on the specific things that are making you happy and unhappy. Mm. So would you say you're a strong advocate for the pursuit of happiness? Yeah, I am. Yeah, de- definitely. I always think you should be. I just think the the most the main the main thing in life is love and happiness, isn't it? It's, it's definitely, and everything else should lead into that. We make our decisions based on pain and pleasure, don't we? We tend to have a, to achieve a goal because we want the positive outcome. So we want to be rich, we want to be, uh, you know, have a big house, go on holidays. But why mm. do you want to be rich? Why do you want a big house? Why do you want to go on holiday? Because you want to be happy. Or you're motivated by pain, so you don't want to be unemployed, or you don't want to live on the streets, or you don't want to have no money, or you don't want to support your family. But why don't you want that? Because it would make you unhappy. So mm. we always, at some level, are looking for joy and happiness. We just want to be happy in our lives. Yeah, like this is the thing. One of the things where people like look at success and go, yeah, it's a big car, it's a big house, it's a bit like money in the account and everything like this. Oh, if I could just get some of that up, it'll be awesome. But like the whole thing is because I think everyone these days, especially with social media, TV, like 24 hour like TV and everything like this is sort of like, how can I say, putting it through a wonky lens, it might not necessarily be the right fit for that individual person. And the pursuit of that might take him away from what might truly make them happy. You remember that TV show, The Good Life? Yes. I, yes. I used to love that. Yeah. yeah. Like where they were basically just living off the land and stuff like that. Yeah, there are some people who are basically geared for that type of good life model. So it's like, and like while they're trying to chase down that Rolls Royce, that big house, it's like, yeah, 
you are going completely the wrong way where you might want to be on a farm like yeah. <laughs> chasing down ducks geese and whatever and planting and yeah just living off the land but yeah. i don't well, actually see it it's, it's dead interesting as well because the good life is about these uh two people who i think it was financially successful through their banking yes. career and then like you said went back to this basic life but we often get trapped uh, into our life decisions because we don't see them coming at us. So there's an episode in The Good Life where they end up like making this, I can't remember what it was now, but some plant pots or uh, they end up making something like veg bags or something like that. And they sold them to a couple of friends and then some more people wanted it. So they then went out and made some more of these products <laughs> and, and it kind of spread. And before long, they kind of like a bit of a production line and they've gone away from this like basic life living off their food that they were growing themselves to create, yeah. creating this business. And at the end, they realized what they've done, that they kind of got back into this mindset that they've been trying to get away from for years and years and years. And at one point, they stopped and went, we can't do this anymore <laughs> because because it, it came on without them realizing at some level, they, they knew that they wasn't happy with this new lifestyle that was growing up around them. So they stopped and then went back to the good life. Yeah, nah, mental. <laughs> it's like it's always waiting to trap you. You might not yeah. see it, but it's always waiting there in the shadows. It's like before you know it, taken down. It, yeah, definitely, it's hidden away. Stress is the same thing. You you often don't be happy one day and and up, uh, you know very stressed the next day or very mm. unhappy the next day. It builds on you, so you might uh, I don't know. Uh, going back to the career when you might be in work in a job that you love yeah because you're good at that you get a pay rise and a promotion but it's a little bit more stressful but because you're good at that particular job or you get more projects which creates more stress or more responsibility and these things can, can build and build or maybe the values of the organization change or your senior manager team uh, have different perspectives and this stress builds and builds and builds until you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders you, mm. and you, but you never realize how it got there um, so it sneaks on you some of this stuff and that's why <laughs> I'm an advocate of reflecting all the time. Every so often, you sit down and go like, what's going on in my life? Like, what am I happy with? What's upsetting me? What's making me excited? What's what's boring me? Uh, and sometimes nothing, you know, I just need to carry on doing what I'm doing. It's good. But other times I kind of go, oh, yeah, that thing actually, I just, that does stress me out a little bit, kind of change that. So reflection is mm. a really good tool for development. Yeah, like I see when people like reflection as, okay, you've got, like if you've got a map, like in the in the military, like you've got a map and you've got checkpoints. These checkpoints are just to make sure you're on course for wherever your final destination is. And I think many people don't have these checkpoints uh, mm. in their lives, so they'll go out up, like on the pursuit of whatever might it be. It could be something like success doing this job, going somewhere, going on holiday. But while they're going through the motions and yeah, you're going through the grind. And when you're in the grind, you know what I mean? All things can sometimes drop away and you can get distracted. But rather than have that checkpoint to like go, wait a second, I'm, I'm veering off left when I need to go more right. We don't have that. And it's one of those things which is a very sort of hard practice to put into place because we get caught up in the moment of what we're doing rather than sort of like going, wait a second, I'm doing that, but I need to stop and go, am I going the right direction or am I not? Yeah, definitely. I think as well, if you kind of look on your map and you're looking at the checkpoint and you're going to the wrong thing, you have choices mm. then. I can go back to the last checkpoint that I know and then, you know, reorientate me from there. Or I can cut across this field and try and take a shortcut to that checkpoint. Or mm. I can follow the map and use this long path to get to the to the destination that I'm going from. And that's part in it. Life is about choices. It's filled with choices all the time. Mm -hmm. Some choices we make at a subconscious level with lots of conscious choices that we make. And having checkpoints in your life and reflecting, you can, it doesn't mean you have to go back or go forward. You might even decide to, to, to get a new destination and go off on a different map or something like that. But having these checkpoints allow you to reflect and make that choice. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. So with this, like, what was that? You, how can I put it? You are a person which has done many, many of things and like gone way past the sort of limitations of some of the things which people would have put down on you. Like I imagine there was a teacher or so like, yeah, you know what? That pound an hour job, well done. You, you, you've hit the pinnacle of who you're going to be. Now, and like, this is the thing with like dyslexia, like writing a play, but not just writing a book, but writing three books. 
how did you get around to going, okay, you know what? I'm a little bit bored. I I seem to have a little bit of time on my hands. Let me write a book. How did that come about? Well, the last one, or the current one that I just, uh, that's just gone on release, lockdown kind of like, you know, really assisted me with that. So like I said, I was thinking about this play for the, for the interview theory. And Mm. uh, I do interview coaching all the time anyway. And I'm just, I'm really interested in the research behind uh, like the, the interview process and what works. And I started reading all this research and what I found was common things coming through all the time. So successful Mm. people do these things and unsuccessful people do these things. And it's interesting as well, because a lot of the research for job interviews is based from the employer's perspective about how they can recruit better people. Ah. So I had to flick the research around to make it about the applicant, how they can be perceived to be a better person so they get uh, get offered a job. So I started just making some notes and I was like, oh, do you know what? I could I could just feel something coming <laughs> from this. I felt that like quite special where with my first book, it was more it was more of a slog. I think I think I wanted to write the first book more than I was passionate about writing one. Where this last one, it was like a passion I'd grown out of this uh, this research. And, uh, you know, the lockdown was a terrible thing and COVID's been been absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. But it, it did, feel, you know, I weren't going out hiking or climbing as much, which I spend a lot of time in the outdoors. I was, I was kind of stuck in. So it just gave me like a window of opportunity. And again, it was kind of like, uh, I keep talking about this passion on luck, but I had the passion because I was doing the research and, you know, COVID was horrible, but it was kind of like a lucky break because I was able to write a, a, a book in a very short period of time. Mm. So I think the first one came, it probably had something to do with being dyslexic and wanting to prove, like you said, the teacher's wrong and prove myself wrong. And, you know, and everyone wants to write a book, don't they? As a coach, you know, everyone, everyone's like, oh, what to write a book? And I'm like, just write one, just write one. And no one ever does. And I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just write one then. The second book, which is all about mindset as well, uh, I'm really into like metaphors and stories. So I was like really into like how, how mm. I can influence someone through a book. And I kind of wanted to uh, help millions of people. I don't that book I sold any though. <laughs> so it didn't help millions of people at all. <laughs> uh, and then this one, this one came from like a mother passion. So yeah, you know what? Everyone wants to write a book and everyone's going to, everyone listen to this show will try and write a book at some point because everyone does this. I don't know why we always want to write a book. <laughs> but you'll stop after page three. So just carry on writing. Don't stop writing. That's what helps you write a book. Just keep writing, writing, writing. Yeah. So like this is the thing. <laughs> three books. And like, do, I don't think you're going to slow down anytime soon. Is there like, is there a, like, are you going to be like, yeah, this is book 80 and now I'm done. Or is it just a case of like, yeah, like if you could live forever it'll be a case of when the sun like engulfs the like earth that's when you'll stop <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, I like i said like i don't set out to write stuff i don't set out to do these things i just at some point i get excited about a new venture a new opportunity and i just grab that so i never thought i was gonna write this third book and then it's just come and you know because I, I vote free now i do kind of want to write more but i'll only write something if I find something that I'm interested in. And I do like, I do think I like helping people. So I don't think I'd ever write like a nonfiction book. Um, my books are always about helping, you know, giving people advice. But then part of me thinks, should I just write a nonfiction? Because I got like a weird imagination and I got these random stories. So maybe, maybe we should just do it. A new challenge, eh? Maybe you're the thing that's got, uh, in 10 years, I'll be on another radio station saying, what made you do that book about? Well, I was on this podcast. <laughs> uh, it was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on, um, you were, yeah. Uh, you know me where be? Yes, uh, the world famous <laughs> podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I was on his podcast and he talked me into it. How? <laughs> it's like, uh, he said he waited 10%, though, which, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, time and memorial? And he still gets his 10% well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, I think you just got to go for things like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get people saying they don't like what you do, whatever it is. But just do it. Just have fun and enjoy the process. Mm. Like this is the thing. Very true. I like, I agree with that I, wholeheartedly. Like this, like the energy you supply then, like the knowledge you have. Have you thought about putting it out there? Not out there on other mediums, either like say uh, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok whatever it might be with the social medias. Have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah, so like, the, the, I actually wrote a, uh, a course for the book, 
Yeah. And I put it on Eventbrite uh, about a month ago. Uh, so they had like the, the, the lesson plans wrote out. And I just left it on there. And I thought, I'm not, it's, it was just like a, a random thing. I put it on there, left it on there, had the lesson plan. I thought, I won't promote it. Uh, maybe I'll do something with it. Went on the other day, like over 100 people booked on. So, <laughs> and it's next week now. So I got like, you know, just a random thing I put out there. And then it's just got popular. People, you know, people need support and advice. And I got support and mm. advice to give people. And that's like a free thing I just put out there for people just to, to access for free so yeah what a, a great technique by the way if you do something use that one thing to make other things so my book is now an online course on udemy mm-hmm. it's a free course on event right i'll be doing you know once covid's over i'll be doing uh, face-to-face stuff the research i use when i'm doing my coaching also it's a book i write blog posts based on that as well mm-hmm. one thing one lots of research ideas and, and you know effort then makes other things and you can do that with anything if you're i don't know, an athlete uh, and you train your body to be a runner you can then use that same skill set uh, one to talk about running or two to get into like a different sport or three to write a book about that particular discipline mm. you don't need to create loads of stuff you can create one thing and make that work for you in different ways which is what financial investors do in it they get your money and they just put it into different parts to help it make more money get the compound interest from that and then invest that into more money so your money works for you or the money you make works for you and that's what I kind of do, compound interest in my life. So basically, your compound interesting effort. Yeah, yeah. Like the skills I learned as a scout leader, you know, 20 or 25 years ago, whatever that was. Yeah. Some of those techniques that I didn't realize what they were because I, I was naturally doing some of this stuff. I do now when I got a phobic client. So that visualization technique that I use with the kids, yeah. I, that, that I, I realized that was a phobic removal technique uh, and I just learned how to do it better. So when I got hypnotherapy clients, now we've got a, a lifelong fear of spiders. It's a very similar technique that I was doing 25 years ago. Sorry, spiders. Are you looking? Are you looking? <laughs> yeah. I got... I, I got. Are, are you scared of spiders? I've got a great technique that I can do with you right now, live, to help you reduce that fear. Like, hey, look, put it this way: look, as long as I got my trusty vacuum cleaner at my side, <laughs> yeah. I will not be defeated by no spider. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In the UK, yeah, um, yeah, like further afield, no, no. <laughs> I tell you this one story about like, okay, I like I was working back. Back back in the day, in summer of 94, I, I was over in America as a camp counselor in a camp called Camp High Road. Like, yeah, I, like I was having a cheeky nap because all of, like, had junior high campers and, like, they were all, like, just at the girls' like, tent. And, like, so, yeah, Meredith, my partner, my co-counselor, had all of the kids. So I was like, yeah having a quick five, five, 10 minutes snooze, like in temperatures vastly hotter than what we've got in the UK today. <laughs> I had these sort of wax covered beds. So it, like, if you rolled off of it, it was like, I heard screaming and shouting, which woke me from my slumber. I'm like, I'm like running across, like going, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? Like that. One of the campers was like, there's a spider, there's a spider. I'm like going, okay, okay, right, calm down. And look, I, I'm, I'm not the best with spiders. And like, yeah, it was this thing called a wolf spider. Wolf spiders can like be around about yay big to yay big. And like this one was a little one. And like, yeah, I was like, okay, right, look. I was like, get out, get out. I was like, okay, yeah, right. So I'm there with a rather large cup and a chessboard right and so i'm going forward towards this spider like trying to have my bravest face on on me and then all of a sudden all the boys in my cabin were flanking me that's like every time i took a step forward they took a step forward every time i took a step back they took a step back i'm getting closer to this wolf spider and it's looking out that's like pondering life in the universe it goes like I could see the spider like thinking, why are we here? What makes <laughs> us us? Who are we? And I was like, it's like, wait a second, someone's coming up on me. The spider turned and looked at me. I looked at it. The boys looked at me as though I was looking at the spider. The cup got closer, got closer, got closer. And then all of a sudden this spider went, <laughs> I don't think so. Boom. 
and it was gone. <laughs> I'm leaping back, kids going out left, right, and center. Like, like screams. I was like, no. Uh, wolf spiders, yeah, not my friend. Spiders, not my friend. And yeah, <laughs> if I could put them on a spaceship and like send them into orbit, every single spider in the world, I would. <laughs> spiders are clever though spiders are clever i was watching this uh david natter program and it's about spiders and there's a spider that makes a web on the canopy of, of the forest on the floor of the forest yeah and when like a creature comes over i don't know what it does but it kind of pulls up the web so it's like a, a like a net like a trap <laughs> and pulls it up into the air how how has that evolved to do that like i think creatures and animals are so much more intelligent than we realize because they do all this like really crazy stuff that we don't we're only starting to understand uh, that they're doing now it's crazy yeah. isn't it no you know what the thing what trips me out sometimes like because the part of north london i'm in we're like near to like we're near to this sort of like park so we've got a uh, an, an extra large number of foxes population and like like these foxes like there'll be times where You'll, have, you'll see a fox and like, you know, that's like, see you and that does the runaway thing. And like, yeah, but there'll be times where you'll be doing something and the fox will wander up and it'll sit there and you're its TV show for that, that period <laughs> of time. And they'll just sit there and watch you doing what you're doing. That's like, like, that's like yeah, you are a strange, hairless monkey. Has anyone yeah. told you that? <laughs> but, yeah. That's crazy. Oh, they come and watch you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's really funny, though, because like you said, in England, we cannot, like, we have foxes, which is the scariest feature. We're like spiders that aren't poisonous. So we've got nothing in England. Yeah. You go to America and you can go out into Uganda, it can be a bear, can't you, like in your swimming pool <laughs> or something. Now, that's yeah. a serious problem, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I remember, like, I remember when we were doing that in camp, like, we were on duty, like, half the, like, counselors go off. And like there was three of us like sitting on this like picnic table, just chatting away. Then out of nowhere, this skunk comes charging out of the trees. It was like ah, running directly towards the table. I've never seen three people just like go, oh no, leave. It's <laughs> like, yeah, the skunk was there for about 20 minutes, just like, yeah. I think wow. having a nice time, have it like with the food we left behind, just like, yeah, looking at us. <laughs> like, Come on. Take it on, take it on. <laughs> no. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but it, like with the hypnotherapy stuff, I did like a lot of research into phobias, and off, we all we all know that we're, we're scared. Of, like most people are scared of spiders. Yeah. And the research um, shows us that we have that. If we see, if we got a parent who's scared of a spider, then you're more likely to be scared of that spider yeah. uh, in your D, in your DNA as well. So if you if your parent's scared, of, you're DNA is going to be like wired, so you're going to be more likely to be scared of it. But you also need observational learning. So when you see your parent being scared of it, then that fires this DNA to make you scared of it as well. Compared to someone being scared of driving, as an example, that's not uh, in our DNA makeup. But mm. stuff like spiders are, it's like ancestral. Well, I've got to say, it most of it must be in my father's DNA because my mother, like, yeah, if she saw a spider, that's like, yeah, that's like, give me that newspaper. Just, oh, there you go. It's <laughs> like, yeah, no fair, no fair at all. But yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, like, okay, look, you've done the books, you're uh, doing the speaking gigs, you're like, you are a hypnotherapist, hypnotherapist, you are a trainer of people to get work what is there any sort of other avenues you might explore uh, along the way yeah so i always have my goal is especially when i'm doing stuff like the anxiety and the confidence is to get to that point where i can meet this is the reason i did hit the therapy i, I literally thought if i could do hit the like i, I don't know why i believed it because it's so rubbish but i thought if i could meet someone being a hypnotherapist i could look them in the eye and go you're cured I clip my fingers and then that's it <laughs> but, I, but I don't think anyone anyone can do that. I can get rid of a phobia in one session, though, so that's uh, really good. But I'm always looking at techniques and advice and support to kind of get people to have, like, uh, massive changes, but in a really short period of time. Because mm. years ago, therapy used to take ages, didn't it? Like 10, 15, or 20 sessions. And, and you know, for some stuff, uh, you know, some... Um, very deep-rooted stuff, you do need that support. But for being yeah. scared of a spider, you should be able to get over that straight away. To pass a job interview where you're literally talking about your own experience, you should be able to uh, have a changing mindset in a very short period of time so you're more confident so you can express yourself well. Mm. So I'm always researching to find out 
what what are the better techniques? What how can I improve my my delivery style? How can I make people uh, more motivated to take action? What you often do, by the way, as a therapist, is you don't really do a lot. You try and get someone so motivated to take action that you can just suggest something to go. Yes, I want that now. <laughs> yeah, you you're a dangerous person to have around. I can tell. <laughs> that yeah. kind of, <laughs> you know. You know uh, what, what I'm going to do now at the end of this story say that uh, you're going to send me a check for five thousand pounds and you'll do it and you won't you won't even realize you've done it. Wait, hmm, hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, did you say five thousand pounds? <laughs> I should go. I should go back to my old boss. that used to pay me a pound, and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you should. Just like, hey, boss. Hey, look into the eyes. Look into the eyes. <laughs> yeah. You're under. <laughs> what you're gonna do is send me a check for five thousand pounds <laughs> with a nice box of Ferrero Rochers. Just don't ask why. Just I like them. <laughs> There's a, a great uh, episode in. Do you remember Little, Little Britain, the comedy show? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, one of the characters was a hypnotherapist, and he's on, he's doing stage hypnotherapy, and all these people are coming to the room to like watch him. He goes, right, everybody, look into my eyes. Like, oh, yeah. oh, they're like, look into my eyes, look into my eyes, and fall asleep. In two hours' time, you're going to wake up and uh, remember that you had a really good interactive show, and you're going to tell all your friends about this show. <laughs> and then he gets his book out and just starts reading, and basically it's just hypnotizing to pretend he's done a great show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if only work was that easy. If only yeah. it was. <laughs> Now, now let's see. Um, time to ask that important question. This must really be one of the most harshest, most severe questions you'll have to face. A challenge like no other. <clears throat> you, you are aware of like the, the Muppet characters, Ivo and Sesame Street and yeah. Okay, now, if you could take a film and replace the whole cast with Muppets, except <laughs> one human being, one human actor, which film would that be? Uh, do you know what? My, my favourite film in the world is, because uh, I love Christmas and I love the, I, I do love the Muppets, uh, is the Muppets Christmas Carol. No, you can't I, have that, no. I, gotta, I, knew, I knew you were going to let me, I knew you were oh, going to uh, let me have that. It's been done. <laughs> it's like, but, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's definitely my favorite film. But the, the what what I will do though is uh, replace the cast of the Matrix with Muppets. <laughs> okay, like this is the thing. So Mr. S Mr. Smith could be the uh, the uh, the um, oh, what's he called? The guy in the bin, the uh, cookie monster who, who pops out the bin. That could be Mr. Smith. You'll have Oscar the Grouch as Mr. <laughs> okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Who else would you like? Who else would you replace? Who you would? Does it, have to, does it have to be Muppets though? Because I actually think it'd be better to replace him with the Mr. Men series. So you've got like Mr. Tickle, Mr. Square. <laughs> I think actually this is a great idea. You could make some really, really, you could have like a really, really good comedy show doing this, couldn't you? Where you replace films, but with Muppets and, and Mr. Men characters. This is such a good idea. This would make an amazing YouTube video channel actually, wouldn't it? So yeah, Mr. Tickle in the Matrix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. That'd be good. Who yeah. Mr. Tickle? Play in the Matrix. Mr. Mr. T. Which it's got to be Neo, hasn't it? It's got to be Neo. Or maybe the Oracle. Maybe it should be the Oracle. Because <laughs> her hand reaches everywhere, doesn't it? Really? Like the, the hidden thing about the Oracle is she's got her, her, her influence is everywhere. And that could be the metaphor of the big hands. <laughs> or maybe maybe uh, Big Bird for Superman. That's, that'd be quite a good one as well, wouldn't it? Or is that too easily connected? I'm not not sure. <laughs> Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Yes, it is a bird. Yeah, it's a bird. Yeah, that'd be so good. Is it a bird? Is it a... No, it is a bird. It's a, bird. it's a big yellow bird. Yeah, yeah. he's not really flying. He's just running down the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, love it. <laughs> You've got a twisted mind. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, one of the things I would say, like... I think you should think about doing a podcast or something like that on a sort of like weekly basis. Like, you know what I mean? Because your energy is good. Like you've got, how can I say, you've got a little bit of a zany character and attitude about you. <laughs> mm, Mr. Tiggle, that's what I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That, that could be the name of the podcast, The Tickle Show. <laughs> I'm not too sure what type of viewers you might be getting for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'll, re I'll rethink that one. <laughs> like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> Would that be something you might consider in the future if you're not doing that already? 
Yeah, yeah. Do you know I'm not doing that already, but um, I would love to actually. Like I don't because I got a new book out. I've been doing loads of these and radio shows and stuff, and mm. I kind of like just become. I've not really done that many before until this last year, and I've been like, oh, it's really fun. I did some for the for the uh, for the Fringe Festival uh, play that I did, but. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it, actually, and having the chats with people and stuff. So it's definitely something I would consider, actually. And mm. I just bought as well. I used to have, like, a really bad setup. So we had quite a poor internet thing. I used to have the, the dodgy headphones where you could hear. It was like Darth Vader, like, hi, my name's Chris. <laughs> when I've got, like, a proper, like, um, podcast mic. I've got a Rode mic uh, and better, like, internet. So I kind of got the equipment now. So maybe this should be my next thing because I do love chatting to people. And I kind of like, you know, being a bit random and stuff. So, yeah, maybe. Quite a good idea, actually. I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> now, uh, I've got to say, uh, you have been a delight having you on the show today. Been an absolute pleasure. And I've got like, look, I'm gonna get you back on again. I'm not too sure how. I'm not like this is the thing. I, I, I have even held back from sort of teasing on football fronts and stuff like that. We, <laughs> yeah, I left yeah. it alone. I left it alone. I was like. It's part of me, just deep, deep down. Was like, go, go on, do it. No, I was waiting. I was waiting for that. I was like, where's yeah. it gonna come from? <laughs> no, no. But I'm gonna leave it for now, uh, and I say for now because yes, you will be coming back at some point. I'm not too sure when, but yes, indeed. Yeah, I'd love to. Oh, I'm loving that. Can you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you? How they can get you on those all interwebs? Yes, so my website is employmentking.co.uk, which has got everything you need to know about passing job interviews. Uh, my book, which is What Is Your Interview Identity, is on every bookshop, uh, but Amazon is the, the most famous one. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn mainly, on social media, it's LinkedIn. Uh, so people ask me questions on there and send me private messages, and I'm always willing to help and give advice. So if you need some support, contact me on there. Superb, superb. <sighs> Chris, got to say thank you for coming on today. You have been a superstar. Thank you very much. It's been really fun, actually. I love it. Like, you, like I said before, your energy is so good. The questions are like, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the Muppets one was really like really random questions. It's really fun. Really enjoyed it. Let's definitely do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm going to have to clip that up somehow. Just like, yes, see, I am amazing. <laughs> I am, yeah. I am godlike. I am not modest, but that's another story. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you've hypnotized me to say all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is on to me a little bit too quickly. <laughs> but on that note, I say thank you to you, Chris. And I'd like to say thank you to you, my friends, my life warriors, who are still with us at this point. Uh, no hypnotism has been committed on this, uh, that's the disclaimer, I'm putting forward for that. <clears throat> like, let me just say, stay safe, stay well, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic, be all the positive bees you can be in this world, and then some. Thank you very much, guys. Yes, peace. And we are...